The Bible reading this morning is from Deuteronomy 8 to the end of the chapter. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciples his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills." When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget that the, the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in that end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord, your, the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Thanks, Adele. Well, good morning again. Hello to you watching online as well. Sorry, sort myself out. Well, let's see if you know this poem. I think I've got a slide for that. This, Robert, nice picture. I'll summarise and then I'll get to the end. One night, a man has a dream. He's walking along the beach with the Lord and sees scenes from his life played out as he goes along. Looking back along the beach, he notices that in the hard and difficult times, there was only one set of footprints. So he says to the Lord, Lord, I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. The Lord replied, My son... My precious child, that was the time I thought it would be funny if we both hopped. (laughs) 
Now, I'm sorry if I've ruined that for you. And you, maybe you've got that on your wall at home, and that's that's all good. Of course, the original of ends. It was then in the hard times. It was then that I carried you. And pick this pictures like this and that that poem. They still you can probably still buy it in Christian bookshops in Kurong. Why? Well, it's because we still have that question, don't we? God, where are you in the tough times? What should we make of it when life is a struggle? Throughout Deuteronomy, we've been seeing the command is for God's people is to remember. Remember that they are God's people chosen and saved by grace. Even in the face of their rank rebellion against God. The question is, how can we remember God, know him, love him, obey him, remember him in the good times and the bad? That's what Moses is getting the Israelites to think about as they're on, uh, about to enter the promised land. He's had them doing lots of reminiscing and facing up to some home truths about their history. And, and in today's chapter, he's going to zoom in on their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Because he wants them to learn from that experience how to remember God. How to know him, love him and obey him. As they move sort of from survival mode in the wilderness to thriving mode in the promised land. So there's an outline in your leaflets. We'll look at good things about the bad times, bad things about the good times, and God's goodness all the time. So first, up, first of all, good things about the bad times, looking at verses 1 to 6. So just to recap, this generation of Israel, uh, well, sorry, the generation of Israel that had escaped Egypt in the Exodus had failed to enter the promised land at the first opportunity. And that first generation has mostly died off wandering around the desert, that, um, that red line. I don't know if that's their exact route, but you get the idea. Wandering around for 40 years, uh, whilst this new generation grew up. And yet through it all, Moses reminds them, God looked after them. Uh, verse 15, he reminds them he'd given them water. Verse 16, a foodstuff called manna that miraculously appeared on the ground overnight. So they were provided for. But still, you know, it's called a wilderness for a reason. We have a look at Moses' um, kind of TripAdvisor Airbnb review, verse 15. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. Sounds like a great holiday destination, doesn't it? But why? Why had God given Israel a tough time in this tough place? Got four good things about the bad times. Four good things about the bad times. First, it was to humble and test them. Test them. Verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. As a teenager, I went um, on Christian camps each summer. Um, and one, it, we'd have like a quiet time Bible study before breakfast. One morning, our Bible study was with a leader on, why shouldn't I? It was a series of why shouldn't I? And this one was, why shouldn't I swear? Okay, good thing to do a Bible study on. Anyway, after brekkie, Arten and this leader were on washing up duty. And somehow this leader ended up getting scolded 
on her legs by boiling water. It, she was okay in the end, just a minor injury. But when it happened, she screamed out. The whole camp heard it. She used a colourful metaphor to express her pain. The pain had revealed where her heart was really up to with swearing. And lots of us have done that kind of thing. But the question is, how do you respond under real pressure isn't it? in real tough times? That's when you really get to know yourself. When you really show your hand and your heart. We're all going to have struggles, all going to have tough times. So we've got two choices in that struggle. We can turn towards God, lean on him more in our struggle. Or if we don't do that, we'll go and seek comfort and support from something or someone else. So for Israel, the, turn toward, the way to turn towards God was to keep obeying his commands. And they're very explicit ones for their life in the promised land. To keep obeying whatever the circumstances now, thanks to Jesus, we can approach God directly in prayer as our Father. As troubles threaten to distract us, we can double down in our Bible reading. We've got God's word translated into English for us. And we can seek God's comfort and direction from there. And we can do all of that with each other, with the encouragement and fellowship of our church family. It's how we can remember the Lord in our tough times. So God put Israel, the first thing, God put Israel in to test them and to teach them. Verse 3, see, for any of us to really grow as disciples, we need God to teach us an important lesson. And for Israel to make it to the promised land, they are to learn this important lesson. And the way we, but all of us are to learn it, is by being humbled. So here's the lesson, verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, what that doesn't mean is that um, physical, material world is bad and only spiritual things matter. That's more of a Greek idea. Remember, Jesus was, as we will be, physically resurrected. Physical stuff is important. Now, what Moses is saying is that what, we need to rely on God in all things. We need to rely on God in all circumstances. Now, of course, Israel didn't trust and rely on God in all circumstances. Despite their miraculous delivery from Egypt, they doubted, they whinged, they rebelled, they were unfaithful. But there would come, however, one Israelite in the fullness of time who would rely on God completely. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was left by, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days, 40, sound familiar? Wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live 
on bread alone. Jesus was tested in the wilderness and showed his heart to be pure, his trust in God to be complete. Israel being hungry in the wilderness and God feeding them was to humble them, to see that all they needed to do was trust God. And when we go through tough times, we need to follow Jesus' example and let the experience humble us and teach us to rely on God. So good testing, good teaching, and thirdly, hard times help us appreciate God's good provision that he provides. Verse 4. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Yeah, clothes didn't wear out. I've got a picture here. Thanks, Robert. Hopefully. Here we are. So on the left there, that's Sharon and I on a honeymoon in 1996. The next picture is... Uh, 25 years later, yeah? And you know what's the same? Not my hairline, no. The T-shirt. That is exactly the same T-shirt. I've still got it. It's a little frayed around the collar. I only wear it in bed now. But it's lasted. Not a miracle. I'm just uh, not very sporty, so I've not worn it very much. See, God provides for it. God provided for the Israelites miraculously in the wilderness. But God provides for us. We can trust him. And going without much for a while can really help us to see that. Now, in the Bible, genuine poverty, absolute poverty, not knowing where your next meal is coming from, and genuine hunger, they're not good. Um, And that's why so many of Israel's laws concerned caring for the vulnerable. You know, blind Bartimaeus in the New Testament shouldn't have had to have been begging. Just should never have happened in Israel's law. But Israel could remember the wilderness and when they were in need, genuine need, and conclude, God provides. God had their back. And in our rough times, we can be sure God has us safe. Even as we face death, we have sure hope that it's not the end for us. God will provide for us a welcome Eternal life, welcome as his sons and daughters. And our final thing about the bad times, God uses them to discipline us. Verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. As a parent disciplines. Mums are really good at disciplining us with their words, aren't they? My mum was. She had said things like, look at that muck in your ears. She'd say, she'd say, don't do that. Woe betide you, she'd say. If you stop and think about it, woe betide you if you do naughty. That's a terrible thing to say to your children, isn't it? Never mind. And she'd, she'd turn whatever it is you were asking for into a verb. Like, Mom, I want to watch telly. I'll television you in a minute. <laughs> if you break both your legs jumping off that wall, don't come running to me. <laughs> God disciplines us. The key thing about Israel's time in the wilderness was it was to prepare them, to discipline them in humility, uh, obedience, and relying on God so they could take that forward into the promised land and thrive there, thrive there under God. 
And there are heaps of references in the Old Testament and the New Testament to tell us the same principle applies to us. So Revelation 3.19, for example, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Hebrews 12.6 and 7, Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? But if, you, if you're going through a tough time right now, what am I saying? I'm, if you're really doing it really tough, should you just suck it up and be glad about it because it's from God? Well, we need to be careful here. We need to see the whole sweep of scripture about this. Um, we know that we live in a broken, fallen world and bad things happen to all of us. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus cites an example of this. Um, a bunch of people were killed when a tower fell on, on them. And Jesus says it's not because they were worse sinners. It's not because they were worse sinners. But he does use that incident as a warning to all of us that we face death and judgment. I don't think we find anywhere in the Bible that we're supposed to enjoy going through suffering. But we do see that it is never pointless. And that's a good answer to your atheist friends. And they say, if they say, how can, you, how can you believe in a God that allows suffering in the world? Well, from the atheist world point, worldview, suffering is always pointless. It's just random chance. Whereas we know that God uses hard times to test us, to teach us, to focus on his provision and to discipline us. So if you are going through hard times, when you go through hard times, trust and rely on God. Because you're already over the hill. You're already over the hill. Let me explain. You know, I've worked out what I think I need to make me be a better pastor. Okay? Is what's going to make the best pastor in the world. I just need a new iPad, you know. And not just any old iPad to replace this one. A new iPad Professional, I reckon, is what I need. And not just any old iPad Professional. I think I need an iPad Professional with a 12.9-inch liquid retina XDR display. I think that'll sort me out. Once I've got that, oh, and I'll need an Apple Pencil to go with it, second generation. Once I've got all of that, I'll have what I need to be a top pastor, won't I? Well, it's a silly example, isn't it? But we do often have in our heads something that we're waiting for or something that we're going to get to that means we've arrived at okay, that now life is good and we can get on with living properly. We tend to live our, I call it horizonism. We tend to live our, our lives with our eyes focused on some imaginary spot just over the horizon when everything's going to be okay. When we've got over the hill of exams or a job or a house or good health or we've got more time or we've got a partner then my humbling will be complete and then I can get on with really living for God but that thinking that that the climb to the top of that hill just becomes a treadmill the point is not to wait until you've climbed your way to the top of the hill but trust and rely on God at the bottom of that hill halfway up it, and when you fall back down to the bottom, and when you're near the top. 
The time for trusting in God is now, is 20 to 11 this morning. That's the time for trusting God. You already have everything you need in Jesus now. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Has blessed us. As we sang in our first song, we've been made alive. You're already over the hill. Trust and rely on God now. So the big question for Israel on the edge of the promised land is, Will they carry this wilderness learning and humbling and discipline forward into the promised land? Will they learn the lessons? Because there are bad things about the good times, our next section, bad things about the good times. We've had Moses' trip advisor review for the wilderness, the vast and dreadful wilderness. But his review for the promised land is amazing. Verse 7. It's a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. Sounds like the front cover of Bible study notes, doesn't it? And there's not just manna to eat. Verse 8. It's a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. They don't even have to make a mine to get the metal. Everything they need, and more. But there are dangers associated with having this plenty. Versus pride, Danger of pride. Verse 10. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, when you've got the house, the car, the partner, the steady job, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The danger is they'll become so proud of what they've been provided, they'll forget the provider. They'll be so proud of what they've been provided, they'll forget the provider. They'll forget God. Now, I wonder if the danger for us is not so much uh, the danger of material wealth. I wonder if the danger for us is feeling proud for having faith or being proud about being a Christian. I mean, you know, we're in the Trinity Network of Churches, aren't we? You know, we're proper Christians. You know, aren't we marvellous? I think I've seen in the way people, Christians, debate online, a very us and them attitude, which displays a pride in being on God's side and a lack of love and compassion for the other. 
But we need to keep remembering that left to our own devices, without God's intervention, we'd be in our own wilderness still. We'd be just as lost as anyone else. And the way to remember God, verse 11, is to keep knowing and obeying his commands for us. To keep knowing and obeying his word to us in the Bible. But if pride slips in and we think we're pretty marvelous, the danger is we obey out of duty to maintain that good self-image we have of ourselves, rather than obeying in response to God's goodness and him, his grace and him making us whole through Jesus. We need to make sure we're obeying not because we think we're great, but because we know that we're not and we know how good God has been to us. So watch out for pride in the good times and watch out for taking the credit. Taking the credit, looking at verses 17 and 18. I've got a picture here. For much of the... I don't know if you recognize this picture. You've seen ones like it. For much of the 50s and 60s, Walter Keane was the world's top-selling artist. His famous oils of sad-looking waifs were enormous, with enormous, often tearful eyes, were everywhere, charging up to $50,000 for each picture, even Andy Warhol admitted he was impressed. There was only one problem. Walter Keane hadn't created a single one of the coveted paintings. Indeed, he couldn't paint to save his life. The artist was, in fact, his quiet, dignified wife, Margaret, kept a virtual prisoner in a back room of their huge home, churning out pictures while Walter Walter lapped up the acclaim and squandered the millions that she earned. Walter took all the credit. And Moses warns Israel, if they forget God, verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. So yes, Israel have promised that if they obey, it will definitely go well for them. But that doesn't mean that the I mean, the good times they will end up enjoying are somehow earned by them. They remain God's gift to them. Because, verse 18, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. I think we've got a couple of examples of our dashboard, Robert. Got that? Yeah, so this is um, our dashboards we use leadership team look at. You, I can always send you one of these if you want. These are just, we look, just measure some key things about our church health, um, visitor numbers, attendance, finance, um, regularity of attendance, things like that. They're not the be all and end all, they're just sort of diagnostic tools. Because we're called to work and obey faithfully for God and we trust that he will use our efforts to build Trinity Church Woodcroft for his glory so that many might be saved. And I think it's right for us to measure the health of our church as, we, as much as we can um, to see uh, if there's anything we could be doing better, to ask honest questions of ourselves. But the danger of that is if all those graphs start going up, showing that we're really good, the danger is we pat ourselves on the back for that. Any growth we are involved in making happen is only because God has given us that ability to help that happen because he wants it to happen. 
So let's just be really careful not to take any credit that belongs to God. Israel must also be wary of misplacing the credit, verse 9. Given um, the gods are the locals of the promised land, the credit God deserves. Um, now, our friends and people around us don't have idols, they don't spell, like wooden statues, but we do this when we look to anything else to provide our ultimate security and fulfillment rather than God. So be that work or family or status. So if you think your fulfillment comes from your career, for example, what are you going to pour your energies into? What are you going to lean on in the tough times? Or if your family is your ultimate security, how much control and pressure are you going to end up exerting on them so that they fulfill all your dreams? What weight of expectation are you putting them under? Instead, give credit where it's due. Only God deserves the credit for our security, for our sense of belonging and fulfillment, because only he can truly give us those things. So we've seen how God uses the tough times to teach us to rely on him. We've seen how, God, how the good times are great, but we need to make sure that we remember God who gave those good times to us, carrying forward that humility we've learned from the tough times into the good times. We need to remember God's goodness all the time. See, life isn't about trying to get over that hill just about making the good times good. Life's about relying on God, trusting in him in all circumstances. Back to the wilderness for, them for a moment. God was bringing Israel into a good land. But they were never going to make it on their own there. They needed God's intervention to give them bread, manna to survive on the way. And every one of us is made to be in the promised land of right relationship with God. Enjoying peace with him now, an ultimate perfect joy with him in a new heaven and earth. But none of us are going to make it there on our own. God has given us Jesus, the bread of life. So the way Israel were to remember God was to obey his commands. And his command to us now, John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. There is a food Jesus will give you to live forever. Jesus can satisfy our mind, our imagination, our deepest longings, True life is found in Jesus, whatever our circumstances. 
So remembering your humbling from the tough times. Remember that God has rescued you from your sin. And carry that humility into every situation. To always rely on God. Trusting in Jesus in all circumstances. Let's pray. Lord God, we think back. We remember just how lost we were. How we're in the wilderness. And we thank you for the grace you showed us then. We thank you for the grace you've kept showing us throughout our lives as we've taken wrong turns and trusted in the wrong thing and just put things on hold till we get over that horizon. Thank you that you've been with us and you stay with us. We thank you for your grace. Please help us to remember that humbling of the tough times, to learn your discipline from them where we need to, to endure them, and to carry that humility forward into the good times, that we never forget you, and we're always trusting in Jesus. Amen.